right. Welcome back to another episode of Friends from Work, a podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it is a podcast that is hosted by me, Kyle Skonawil, live from my house in Nashville, Tennessee, and my longtime friend from work, Robbie Earl, from his house in Austin, Texas. Speaking of your house... (laughs) Speaking of your house, how is your house? (laughs) Did you fix the leaky roof and are you enjoying the house so far? Yes. And and yes, Uh, no more leaky roof, which is nice, courtesy of the Patch Boys. Oh, Uh, hello. (laughs) Just the the company that Candace hired uh, to fill in just a massive hole in our drywall uh, ceiling that was left. There you go. And they were great. Patch Boys for life. Uh, so that was great. And then in general, yeah, we've been just doing some stuff around the house. Uh, the, uh, the old sanctum is coming together. Yes. I have installed just an obscene amount of, uh, of bookshelves in here because I am intent now that we're like, now that we have a, a place that we're sticking around in for a while and I know that we're not going to be moving again. Like I, I was in this pattern for the, really since I, left home for college i've moved houses almost every year uh which was just so i I was i was no longer interested in that experience and so i'm very excited to kind of have a a permanent spot which means that i can do things like installing obscene amounts of bookshelves into like every wall that i have access to you know what i can't wait for to get back to the Earl Sanctum Sanctorum because we haven't done a screener in that new house. That's true. And I like those times. I like watching the movies with you in Austin and then recording. Those in that are good room. times. Oh. And, and I've got you a nice little armchair in here now. It's no more. Oh, I can't uh, wait. No more office chair. No more like trying to figure out how to set up a a Yeti mic on like four books that are like precariously yeah, yep. perched on top of a binder. Like what it's, I'm doing uh, right now as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, it's, it's been, it's been great, you know, for all of the, uh, the podcast headway that Candace and I have been able to make lately. That is a joke. Uh, we do have a really great setup for her. Uh, and, uh, for you, when you come, it's really nice. It's like, I've, I've got the, I've really enjoyed the mic arm stand. Uh, that I have on like in my just normal station that people can normally see when we do video stuff. And so we've got one set up over there by the by the chair in the corner, little lamp, you know, little area to, to put your drink. Honestly, Deadpool might be the perfect time to do that because we probably won't go to L.A. for that. And there's a near zero percent chance that my wife will want to come with me to that screener. So that's got to be a me and you thing in Austin. Right. I feel like yeah. that's a perfect one for that. Oh, God. Well, especially if we've, I mean, that's one of the things that made the No Way Home movie so fun it is you and I had just finished going through all of the Spider-Man stuff. Like we had watched all the Raimi and Garfield stuff and talked a lot about oh, yeah. the the John Watts stuff and had Dan Gavazdan on to talk about Spider-Man and like what that means to have a good Spider-Man movie. So it was like you and I had been on this parallel journey and then we're just in the exact same headspace going in. And I think, you know, and we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks, but we might wind up in a similar spot 
with the X-Men stuff leading into Deadpool, where we're able to cover a lot of that on Friends from Work Plus. And oh, yeah. I think, uh, and, and it's even, I mean, I guess it's similar for you a bit because uh, you had not seen, I don't think, the second Garfield film and hadn't seen like, some yep. of the Raimi stuff in a long time. But there are a lot of movies in the X-Men stuff that you just, you haven't seen ever, period. Uh, X1, 2, and 3, I saw so long ago that I couldn't tell you the entire plot of the movies. So it would be really fresh. Um, mm-hmm. Days of Future Past and First Class, I've seen quite a few times and some a little more recently than others. So those I would remember. But... I've seen Apocalypse one time, never Dark Phoenix. And I get all of the Wolverines mixed up, so I don't know which one's mm-hmm. which in my head, which is fair, to be honest. And uh, I just recently watched Logan. So that's my... And I've never seen Deadpool 1 and 2. Right, so, yeah, which is the biggest. Um, yeah, the Wolverine so, movies can really be split into the two that were made by James Mangold and actually there are no others that I can think of that, (laughs) that existed. So it's weird. Just those two, Um, I suppose. Going back to tie this all together to your house situation, we have a discord channel and it's basically just an online forum of a few hundred people that like to talk about Marvel and a few other things. And it's kind of a fun growing community. You can find the link if you want to join that or that interests you in these show notes or by going to our website, the FFWpodcast.com. But two things. One, people have literally on the Discord started a petition on change.org to (laughs) make me live stream my reactions to Deadpool. (laughs) So there's like eight signatures now that I have to have a camera on my face watching Deadpool for the first time. I have no idea if I'm going to do it, but, uh, so there's that, first of all. Secondly, you posted on November 5th a picture of your TV, and you had Viva Vendetta on your TV, because obviously, remember, remember sure. the 5th of November, as I mean, one does. Pagans. Yeah, I mean, come on. But the greatest part of the Discord showed its true colors directly following that post. You know, the Discord 80% of the time makes me laugh really hard and 20% of the time it goes off the rails entirely. But this is <laughs> one of the cases where it's a huge win because you posted the picture with no intention of trying to flex. But you were just posting a picture of Viva Vendetta and all the comments were, oh, wow, low-key Robbie Flex here because your setup looked so good, (laughs) so clean, so shout out you. But then it drove a bunch of our listeners to share pictures of their setups and people took it so ridiculous with like pictures of like a Game Boy type screen, you know, watching Marvel and just how poor their setups were. And Robbie's rich (laughs) in his setup and it just, it made me laugh for a long time. So thank you. That was a, uh, when we first looked at the house, Candace had, has had this dream of getting one of those frame TVs forever. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. It's like a matte finish screen. So they're, they're like glare resistant. But I think the other nice thing is when, when it's not on, you can use the matte screen to put on like pieces of art. And because of the way the TV is shaped, it looks like framed art. And so this was like a dream purchase of Candace forever. <laughs> hey, we've seen we we've already seen pictures of your setup 
which is long <laughs> outclassed mine. You got that Matt Murdoch money, although Matt doesn't have very much money, right? That's the whole point. He never has money. None of his clients pay him. So, sorry. That's true. Although in the comics, he does have like this nice brownstone in, in uh, New York for a while, which I'm like, Hello. hey, you're not, you're not sacrificing so much, Matt. But by the way, did you get the Matt TV or not? I interrupted that story. Oh, yeah. No, no. That's, that's what we took the, the photo of there. I mean, like, like oh. that's the current setup in that room. And does the picture quality suffer because it's different or does it still look great? I think it still looks pretty great. Uh, we, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I think that if you get really into it, like you can make various, sometimes I get obsessive about things like this. And I think when I set it up, I, I found like all the right uh, adjustments to make to the various settings to make sure that the, the coloring isn't being a, uh, like auto-corrected and stuff to kind of make up for the, the, cause like it'll sense light in the room and, and can change ah. the picture. And so you don't want that too much, but it, man, I will say like for the living room TV, cause it's not like it's a, you know, like I, there's another, like our, the TV that we had prior to that is in like another room that we have like, like our Nintendo switch set up to. And where it's like, if we want to go in and have like a, a like different kind of movie or video game experience or whatever, you can do that. But in, in terms of like the open room, it is so okay. nice to have, non, to have a non-glare on, like, on the TV. On You're just walking around and it's like, man, I can see this from everywhere. It's, it's middle of the day. Sun is streaming through. I used to have to like nail up like towels over the windows like just a sad, sad man whenever I wanted to do my Lord of the Rings <laughs> marathons. No more. No more. <laughs> I just I just pop them on. Doesn't matter what time of day. All right. They're there, I'm there, you know. So today's episode is going to be brief and in three separate chunks. Last week or 10 days ago or so was absolutely insane for Robbie and I. We covered a ton of stuff on Spider-Man 2, the Marvels, and the Loki finale. And we are super proud of how those episodes turned out. And we know that not everybody has finished Loki and or seen the Marvels. So we don't want to clog up your feed with new content until you get a chance to go back, watch that movie, watch that series, and then listen to our episodes. Let us know what you think. So catch up on those. And so today is a brief episode where we're going to be talking about some MCU news, some friends from work news, and then a brief review, spoiler-filled, uh, of Spider-Man 2, a video game that I am 100% through and Robbie is about 85% through. So we'll be talking about that with spoilers and uh, giving our thoughts there towards the end of this episode in case you don't want anything ruined for you on that. But Robbie, we start off today with some breaking news. That's right. Let's go to the news desk. <laughs> so I don't know if you saw this. Um, it is being reported, and I'm just going to read this for you right off the top as a disclaimer, okay? Uh, the new Fantastic uh -huh. Four film, which is going to be directed by Matt Shackman, which we're stoked about because uh, he killed WandaVision, and so I think that's going to be a great fit for him personally. That film comes out in a couple of years, and it has been the most rumored film that I can ever 
remember. I never remember diving into cast projections as intensely as we have with this Fantastic Four film. So after a ton of different people have been tossed out for playing Reed Richards, it is now almost confirmed, and I'll give a disclaimer about that in a second, that Reed Richards will officially be played by Pedro Pascal. The news was initially reported by Daniel RPK, but according to sources close to the project who spoke with Slash Film, Pascal has officially signed on the dotted line. Although Daniel RPK's report says Pascal is in talks, Slash Film's source says the deal is done and should be announced soon. So my last disclaimer is, if this turns out to not be Pedro Pascal, I am never on this podcast talking about another Fantastic Four rumor in my life, okay? It's over if this is not correct because we have gone through so many names. So that's it. But let's assume that it is Pedro Pascal. Oh my gosh. Have you heard that news? And what is your reaction? Yeah, I mean, so I I have heard that news. And it's not that I have mixed feelings. I, I should say first... You know, if people don't know this, you and I are both huge fans of Pedro Pascal, not even just from Mandalorian stuff, but from The Last of Us, from The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which you and I actually saw together, and I know is a movie that you and Annika like a lot. Such a fun experience that was, by the way, that screener. Oh, man, yeah, that was with, with all of our uh, Nicolas Cage yes. uh, face masks, yes. uh, courtesy of Alamo. But, so I, I should say, I... I'm excited ultimately because I have a ton of faith in him as an actor and I really like, I get the sense that he's one of these guys that tends to enjoy diving into universes like that. Like when you see him talk about becoming Joel in The Last of Us and see him talking about his, like the way that getting into the Star Wars universe has changed his life. Like he seems like the sort of person that could have that kind of Tom Hiddleston legitimate passion for the for the role that we always look for. So in general, I think it's a great it's a great move. I think it's kind of funny that to the extent you put any like any weight on the stories that Disney is trying to, you know, figure out how to fix Marvel or whatever. Uh, I did laugh that it's like, well, okay, this has worked so far. Pedro Pascal, <laughs> if nothing else, has worked so far. So we'll just run it back. But all that, all that said, my, my initial, initial reaction was a little, like, I was a little shocked. It's, it's just, Pascal is not the kind of actor I had imagined stepping into that role. Like, all the folks that have been rumored, it seemed like they were really trying to lean into this, like, sort of distant, like, a bit removed, hyper-studious... Uh, maybe emotionally cold guy. And I can definitely, again, see how Pascal would do that. But I am a, a bit like, I, that's not who I initially would have thought. Like a, a couple of years ago when like the William Jackson Harper rumors, uh, like Cheedy from The Good Place, who has now appeared in, in Quantumania, like when those were circulating, granted, he's a much, you know, like much less of a star than Pascal is. But like, that's kind of what I was picturing. You know, like someone that kind of had that, like that look uh, of like the smartest guy in the world. And Pascal is like, he's kind of got the like rugged, like handsome, like uh, I'm going to walk through a, 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's it's just not a that's not where my mind initially went. But what was your reaction? Like having less of a Fantastic Four background. I am total lockstep with you. It's so strange, right? It's really strange. So on one hand, yes, I think Pascal is a star. I legitimately love him. Like unbearable weight of massive talent did a lot for me, not just because his acting chops were really good or anything, but just to see that side of him and play a comedy. I enjoyed him hosting SNL. Thought there were some funny sketches oh, there. Oh, yeah, that was great. Yeah. I feel like he can cover a lot of ground. And and he's a big name. From just my perspective of what Reed Richards is supposed to be like, I have not really seen Pascal do like the super nerd thing. And he always is so badass in all his roles. And I never really picture Reed Richards as being a badass. Does that make sense? Like I... Yeah, yeah. Like the way he carries himself in The Mandalorian, for example, obviously it's a totally different character, but the slow walking, the the quiet, low talking, very little talking, right? Contrast that character to the old Reed Richards from the first Fantastic Four, right? The difference there and just the vibe. Yeah. And I think I'm with you that it's not a bad thing, but at first I saw Adam Driver, John Krasinski, those right. type people fitting that role more like a family man. A f- yeah. Yeah. A family man nerd. Who's like a little aloof kind of and unaware. Yeah. Um, and Pedro is like handsome, rugged, badass, Han Solo, cool, sharp, quick witted cutting. But yeah, yeah, he's a star. He's a star. So maybe, I mean, I think he's capable of doing that. But it's just a strange, it took me back for a second. But to kind of further emphasize the badassery that Pascal has become known for, like that, the whole character that he plays in that show is just supposed to be like the epitome of cool. And like he's this guy that is like unstoppable and like unshakable and so it's like I feel like almost every role except for the unbearable weight, which kind of plays with that you know by making him but he's like, still a goofy. super rich guy though you know that right, I, don't know, right. I don't know yeah but I think he can really like I, I that whenever I see interviews with Pascal when he's not in character oh for like, sure I could see the kind of the the inner nerd coming out yeah. in a way that could actually be really fresh yep yeah I this is don't laugh at this okay because I don't think this is a memorable performance at all. But I guess maybe the closest thing to that is actually him in Wonder Woman 2, kind of. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is super strange. Um, but yes, I, I love him, though. That's what I want people to take away from this. So I think he can do it. The last thing I was going to say about that, what's really interesting to me is kind of what you said about Disney. It does appear that Marvel and Disney are slightly changing up the way they go about this in that, you know, one of the most famous things about Marvel's run was that they didn't really cast stars. Like they took chances on directors and actors that were mostly unknown, like Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans, RDJ was even, you know, kind of at the bottom point of his career, 
Scarlet was probably the closest thing to that, but all those people are now stars because of Marvel and then have gone on to do incredible things, like in the case of Scarlet. But before that, it wasn't like she was crazy well-known, you know? And then, like, think about, like, Simu Liu was not a super well-known person. A lot of these directors, it's their first movie doing a big picture like this. Uh, Echo, this is her first role. That's been their blueprint basically right to the point yeah, where when yeah. they bring on someone like christian bale it's a talking point for you and i remember right, it's like oh my right. gosh christian bale's in this you know yeah and this obviously kind of bucks that trend and i don't know if that's good or bad yet the bad side would be is this disney just reaching for money and like you said falling back on what they know works like falling back on star power but because of that there's maybe some long term ramifications like maybe Pedro won't want to be this role for 10 years whereas Reed Richards could be around for 10 years you know theoretically right, right. uh maybe there's some you know contractual things that'll be difficult in the future by having someone like this versus it's like a buy low sell high thing getting an unknown actor to buy in for 10 years might have been easier and then Marvel has proven that that can, that can allow them to flourish and grow. But the positive side is I love Pedro Pascal. And if he kills it, it's going to be so freaking cool to have an A-lister as one of the A-listers in the Marvel universe. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think the, the rest of the, of the rumored cast there, uh, those all one make a lot more sense to me. And I think maybe fit that bill a little bit more. They are folks that have certainly, like, they have big followings, but I don't think any of them would be seen as, like, A-listers in the way that I think Pascal is now seen. Like, I'm not sure that he would have been considered an A-lister two years ago, but I think yeah, at fair. this point he he would be. And, and so some of the casting stuff, which I hear that the other three are all but confirmed, Oh, uh, really? Those make me really excited, too. Okay, but, well, then quickly break some news to me and our audience. Well, so what I what I hear, and again, you know, same kind of, uh, same kind of disclaimer that, that you gave, but we are looking at, for Sue Storm, Vanessa Kirby. Yep, who, from Mission Impossible. Yeah, uh, Mission Impossible, The Crown, really, really great actor. She was in a movie called let me fact check this i think it was woman in pieces that got a lot of award but pieces of a woman uh they got a lot of uh <laughs> those are very different things if you mix up the title um uh, i woman mean in i feel pieces like they both... is, a, is a murder fest <laughs> well that's true i guess if it's taken literally but pieces of a woman could also be yeah i guess uh, <laughs> here look i found these pieces <laughs> oh gosh okay <laughs> but that movie was great. It's a very intense movie, as it sort of sounds. But uh, she's <laughs> someone that Candace and I have talked about just being really impressed with. Uh, yeah. And and I always like, even when she shows up in Mission Impossible, I feel like I, she, I like seeing some depth from that character in the most recent Mission Impossible. I just rewatched yeah, it two days ago. Yeah, agreed. Johnny Storm, uh, the Human Torch, is apparently going to be or heavily rumored to be Joseph Quinn, who okay. plays, uh, what was it, Eddie? The the main, like, D&D, the dungeon master from the most recent seasons of Stranger Things. Yeah, 
he definitely has the look for sure. That'll be a little bit different of a take because I know him so much from Stranger Things and that character is not how I remember like Chris Evans playing. Oh, right. <laughs> that right. role, like they're very different, but yeah, I'll be interested to see how that one goes. I don't know a ton about him, Joseph Quinn. Same. Even in that show where he's supposed to be a like kind of a weirdo and an outcast, he does have this real charisma to him. Mm. Like, I, I think I remember reading that the, the character was not supposed to last as long as he did, but that people just really enjoyed, like, that they, they could tell on set that it was working really well, and so he kind of slowly got a larger and larger role. It's funny that you bring up Chris Evans, because I think I've probably said this before, but I remember when he was first cast as Captain America and thinking he had done such a good job as Johnny Storm that I couldn't imagine him <laughs> as Steve Rogers, you know? So it's like, we've kind of come full circle. That's so true. Uh, but yes. Okay. So the thing, and this is, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to massacre this pronunciation here, but it's, I think, Ebon Moss Bachrach. It is, in our household, he's known as Desi from Girls. He has also shown up in so many things recently, but has a really large role in The Bear. He was in uh, The Punisher. He was, yes, he was in The Punisher. He was in Andor, Andor uh, yeah. briefly. Yeah. Uh, I. It's so funny, though, because Candace and I were just talking about this the other day before this casting stuff came out. And I. he's one of those actors that I just really enjoy right now. And that's kind of what I'm excited about with these three characters that are, you know, these three actors that are rumored to be the other three is they're all actors that I've kind of reached that point with where whenever I see that they're in something or, you know, in the case of Joseph Quinn, I guess, in something else now, I am legitimately excited to see their take. I trust that they are going to do a good job, like we said with Pascal. And I feel like they're all bringing something different. And with him specifically... I think it's 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 going to be really interesting if that happens. He's got this kind of uh, like I think he is a New Yorker. I I believe I know he lives in New York currently. I I'm not sure if he's from there originally, but in the Bear, he's kind of so much of what he brings to that character. I think he could bring to the kind of like Lower East Side Ben Grimm, like pre the thing, but then also post. Like I think he's got the right voice and accent for that. And I, I think what I love is that they didn't like, he's not a very stocky guy, you know, like, yeah, I think right. I always assumed that they would cast some like big dude, like Dave Batista like style. Uh, and I like that. They're just kind of going they're They're leaning into, I think Ben Grimm as the kind of like curmudgeon -y, like New York Jew from the 60s that that Stanley and Jack Kirby really created and that everyone initially fell in love with rather than just like leaning into the appearance of it. And I think that is the right instinct. And I'll shut up. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. I said this would be a brief episode, but I didn't know we'd get into the entire casting. So there we go. We'll all see. Right. Maybe, maybe, it's all, maybe it's all fake. All right, part two of today's episode, both Robbie and I wanted to give a quick update on where Friends from Work stands right now. 
As I said, we had a really busy mega week not too long ago. So we have episodes out covering all of Loki and the Marvels. You and I are going to get into Spider-Man 2 here in a minute. But as we are rapidly approaching Thanksgiving, I want to give you a little bit of a heads up on our schedule. So as you know, as you can already tell, we are back to Monday episodes because it is currently the MCU off season. And there are some weird releases coming up as far as how it plays into the schedule. Uh, next week's episode is going to be a 40-minute chat that Robbie and I had with John Pisano, the composer of Spider-Man 2 video game, but also the composer of the Netflix Daredevil show, the upcoming composer of the brand spanking new Planet of the Apes movie that's coming out next year, and as one of our listeners informed us, is the composer for, uh, what is it, uh, Invincible? Is that right? Invincible, which I'm so, I, I'm normally, like, that's normally one of the first things that I check. And for whatever reason, I think it's just the way that I've been watching it. I didn't think to do that for Invincible, but I did notice that I was enjoying the music. And I'm so mad that I didn't even make that connection until two days after we talked with John. But uh, but yeah, I, by the way, that's another another show that I've been a big fan of in the past and is already off to a really good start in a season two. So... Robbie and I will both be taking Thanksgiving break. So that episode will be next Monday. We will come back the following Monday and rank and reflect on Loki and the Marvels in one episode. Robbie and I both want a chance to watch Loki and the Marvels one more time in theaters before we talk about it. And then that will kick off a December and January that's actually super jam-packed. We're going to be continuing our rewatch with Spider-Man No Way Home and Hawkeye, which is going to be incredible, right before Christmas. Perfect timing there. And then over Christmas break, it is now official that What If Season 2 yeah. will be releasing an episode a day. You heard that right. One episode a day from December 22 through December 30th. So basically covering your Christmas break. So while you and I are off from the main feed of the podcast, we will both be watching What If. And we plan to come back in early January and cover the entire season of What If. And then right as we're finishing that, we are going to be breaking our coverage of Echo into three parts. One week will be Echo episodes one and two. The second episode will be episodes three and four, and our final coverage on this podcast will be a isolated episode for the Echo finale. And then we have the Friendly Awards. So I want to say all that to say we are going to be going jam-packed every Monday, except for Christmas Day, with just great Marvel goodness that I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. And speaking of the holidays, we've kind of previewed already that we're going to be able to pick up right where we left off with our phase four rewatch here. And it's actually going to be even better if we now are doing our Loki reflection prior to kicking that off, because I think it's going to be kind of perfect to go from Loki season two, uh, just given the way that played out to No Way Home. Not saying that we're changing that in the official order, but I think that given that Loki season two functions so much as just a, you know, immediate continuation of the first season, and we were initially using that Loki first season as the transition back into No Way Home, I think that'll work well, and then take us to Hawkeye, which will set up Echo. But also, Christmas-wise, we're going to be doing some fun things around here, both at the end of the year and the start of the next one with 
Friends from Work Plus and with some of our partners. And for the holidays, we, I've really enjoyed this. I've been putting together some, uh, some lists with organic price books, some recommended readings uh, for the comics lovers in your life. And so we'll have kind of a page up over there that are the Friends from Work endorsed comics. Uh, kind of a couple different categories and bundles and things. And for someone that you know, enjoys that kind of curation, that has been a good time for me. And I think would be, you know, make for a good gift for some some friends from work listeners or friends from work adjacent folks. So yeah, uh, yeah ton of stuff coming. But as Robbie said, we also have some really fun stuff planned for Friends from Work Plus. I mean, I know you and I are trying to finish our Daredevil season three finale uh, episode, which is going to be incredible. But as we near the holidays, we're looking into some giveaways and some fun things for people who subscribe on Patreon or Substack, Apple or Spotify. So a lot of fun stuff on the Friends from Work Plus side. You know, anytime the MCU leaves a little bit of a gap in their content, it allows Robbie and I to actually turn the page on the last chapter and move into a new kind of off-season mode. And part of that is really exciting because we can then ramp up things on Friends from Work Plus, but also we're finally readjusting our merchandise store. So you and I are in in the works right now with some really fun stuff. I am currently getting some tumblers, some custom tumblers made. That'll be really fun. We're looking into Mm -hmm. some beanies. We're looking into a Friends from Work Plus exclusive t-shirt that you would get only if you are a subscriber and maybe even another merch item for sale before Christmas. Who knows? So mm-hmm. a lot of just, again, it's fun to kind of change our mindset to a different part of the podcast. And then, you know, this, you know, I love the friendlies. It's going to be so fun right, to talk about right. Echo. There's just so much stuff going on over and here. So Jacoby, who yeah. folks, you know, will will know by now is kind of an integral part of the, the friends from work team. He's designed all of our artwork, uh, all of our merch. He is actually, as I'm recording this, uh, coming over tonight, and we're hammering out some final details on some uh, some merch items and and the season artwork, and it's gonna be, yes, it's gonna be really fun. This is this is the the fifth season, the the kind of fifth anniversary, so it feels sort of significant. That's another thing I love about the turnaround of the year is that I get a chance to print off the posters that Jacoby and your wife Candace make and send those to Friends from Work Plus people of our season four artwork, which is fun. I just like seeing those. And you know how I like this. In my studio, I have them all framed as you walk up the stairs. Yeah. Uh, So I love adding that to my collection. So that'll be season four. But then, yes, it's equally as fun getting a brand spanking new season five artwork from Jacoby, which usually is something that we don't give him a ton of direction. And then he sends us, and we're just blown away. So, like, legitimately, as a fan, I'm giddy to see what he comes up with. I am uh, right now, and I'll have to post this eventually after we've we've shared the artwork, but I am holding a legitimate napkin, like back of the napkin design that Jacoby did in like 45 seconds as he and I were talking the other night. And he was like, oh, I think like this. And it's just wild to me how talented he is. He's like, so talented. He said he wants to go bigger like, and better than ever before. That's what he told me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and he's, yeah, he's wanting to do something totally different, which I think is perfect for a year like this. So oh, gosh, I'm, and by uh, the way, by the way, I'm excited. Th- that's been really fun too. For people who don't know the nerdy details, he made our first season 
artwork and it just blew our minds. And I think honestly, it's a huge reason our podcast took off a little bit was his artwork. Right. He followed it up with a slam dunk, different vibe in season two and three. And then after two and three, he started experimenting. Like when he did the Moon Knight artwork for us, that was the first time he actually hand drew it. So you have the actual hand drawn yeah. Moon Knight yeah, artwork. Yeah, I have that. Yeah, I have that in the uh, in the old Sanctum right now. Yeah, so he even wanted to stretch himself, which is cool. Then with this season, season four, which is maybe now my favorite one. Uh, and by the way, with Captain Marvel and Ant Man, and he nailed yeah. the Miss Minutes thing. Like it's perfect. Uh, he did a totally different style. It's kind of like, I'm not an artist, but it's almost more of like colored dots type thing to shade it. Yeah. So yeah. I just love that he's like pushing the boundaries of what he even wants to do. So I'm super stoked to see what, I have no idea, but what season it's five It's that like be. classic comic booky, like, what is it? Two-tone, half-tone? Anyway. But yeah, it's, I, I will say, if you are interested in any of this, whether or not you see yourself becoming a Friends From Work Plus subscriber anytime soon i would encourage you to go look up friends from work on substack or go to the ffwpodcast.com and yep. you can find the link there because that is becoming more and more where we just kind of keep people in the loop so we'll make announcements there and obviously we'll talk about things here on the podcast but uh if you want to know what's going on, what the schedule looks like, what we're going to be getting into or putting out. That's just a, a really easy and totally free way to do that. And just to reiterate, thinking about that for one second, as we just turned the page on our four-year podcast anniversary, that is so cool to us. When we started this podcast, we literally just started two guys talking to a mic about the movies. And think about now, Robbie, what it's kind of grown to. We have friends from work. We have friends from work plus. We have screensaver getting into all different Mm -hmm. kinds of films and discussions. But then it's so fun to think like, yeah, now we have like a really strong newsletter presence that you kind of head up and Greg helps with. So like if you just want to be up to date weekly on news and or writings of what's going on with friends from work, but also in the Marvel world, that newsletter is free. So you can just be involved if you want for free. And that list has been growing. So that's fun. And then we've been growing our YouTube channel, which is kind of the total opposite, which is like instant reactions, live streams. Like it's just becoming this whole thing now. It's it's not yeah. even friends from work podcast. It's kind of friends from work show now, which has just been really wild and fun. And we're so thankful for all of you who have been a part of that. Because we are moving into Thanksgiving here. I think this episode will drop Thanksgiving week. We are just talking about Jacoby and, and Greg. And one thing that we don't get to, to maybe talk about as much is how lucky we are in the, the team that's kind of wound up assembling. Uh, oh not gosh. really by design. Like, it's not, we can't really take credit for it. It's like it, the stars just kind of aligned. You're so right. You and I just started the podcast not knowing any of this. And then it was like, oh, it just so happens that Robbie is married to like the queen of graphic design. Like she's incredible and does it for a full-time living. So she helps us out. And it's like, what? We have a master graphic designer. And then, oh, by the way, she knows this guy, Jacoby, who's this just happens to be incredible artist for artwork. And then she goes, oh, and I used to work with this guy named Pete who works in like PR and management. 
And it's like, I never met him and it could not have been a more perfect fit. And then, oh, it just so happens that one of our earliest listeners also happens to be the best possible like news gatherer, Greg. You're so right. Like we've stumbled into like this dream team and none of it was us intentionally planning it. And I think what's, what's crazy is how much, like how aligned everyone has been in that, like, I, I think everyone is, is drawn to it out of just a legitimate interest and love for what we're doing and a joy in doing it, which then makes it really fun for everybody. Cause it's not like we're really dragging anybody along or that like there's any sort of pressure, but it's just like, man, we're so lucky to have like the stuff that Greg has been contributing, the news stuff that he puts together, like, especially as you're talking about all the rumors and what you can and can't believe, like that is not, that is not an easy thing. Like, I think you can read the water cooler section in our newsletter and think like, oh, you know, you just, you assembled the top MCU news stories and and posted them. But there's a lot of like sifting through what is and isn't legitimate, not just like factually, but even in terms of like how much oxygen some kind of narrative should get that's kind of going around on Twitter. Like, Greg's judgment on that. But then, yeah, like you were saying, what he's contributed to the Substack with his reviews of of episodes and recaps. And it, it's just been a, I feel like at, at this exact moment, kind of as we're reflecting and then getting ready for the next phase, particularly thankful for uh, for our, our crew and for, you know, the the listeners, I guess, too. Yeah, yeah. Ditto all that and also the listeners. This week was interesting for me because I was traveling and so I had a little more time to actually be on Discord and some stuff went down and I was just reminded of how cool the community can be when it's working, you know? And it, 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 there's, yes, you're right. It's Thanksgiving. That's why we're getting sentimental. We probably will do this again around Christmas, but it's just there are times where it's like, this is crazy that this all exists and that these people care and they share it and they're kind to each other. And I saw this quote from Iman Vellani this week. I I think Greg shared it where she was talking about how like she used to hate that when she was in high school, she would be so excited about something in the MCU. And then her excitement level would turn people off. And she was like, I just don't know why we can't just be excited about the things we're excited about. And I was like, this is like our mission statement, Iman come on the podcast. This is what friends from work believes in. And so uh, that also warmed my heart reading that too. So I'm just so thankful for everyone. I know. Yeah. Iman, if you're okay. listening. <laughs> yes. By the way, I don't just want Iman on the podcast. Like I think she would enjoy being a part of the community. <laughs> Legit, I think she would love being in the discord and being a part of conversations frequently, you know, just as a fan, oh, yeah. which is so yeah. funny, but okay. We're going to be right back giving a brief review of Spider-Man 2, the video game on PS5 by Insomniac Games after a quick word from these sponsors. Okay, so as I said, I'm going to try to keep this really brief, not only for timing, but because I know you're not entirely finished. So we can't fully talk about maybe where the game could potentially be going after this because you don't know yet. But man, what a video game. What a video game. That's really what I wanted to say. That's kind of why I wanted to do a a chunk of an episode on this. Uh, I had so much fun playing through it. And there are going to be spoilers here, but 
basically I feel like Insomniac took what already worked so well in the first game and pretty much improved on almost every category that goes into making a game. The traversal mm -hmm. is better. Uh, the graphics look better. The map is bigger. And even with the map being bigger, it's not harder to get around. The fast travel is cooler. Even the animation coming out of the fast travel is so freaking dope. The side missions are one of the biggest improvements for me in the game. Not just in that they're not as repetitive, but to actually include the side missions where you get backstory on the characters, like Peter getting his first job at the Daily Bugle to see what that was like. What mm -hmm. a genius way to fill in backstory without having us have to go back intentionally, if that makes sense, uh, to get to see what Peter and Harry's relationship was like in the past just to get to see some of those background things, the improvement of MJ's missions, how they feel more yeah, like the last yeah. of us and less of just like a side thing that you're kind of like, what are we doing now? They're right. integral to the plot. MJ and Peter's relationship is just easier to be around. Basically it's less right, annoying to right. me and just a better part of the story. The new updated moves and swinging styles are better. Uh -huh. I feel like the the moves are cooler with the symbiote stuff, and Miles is so cool. Miles ends up being the hero of this game so many times. Like, yeah. For someone that you would be afraid would just be kind of thrown in, I feel like the overall story kind of actually went the opposite, which is like it's almost like a passing of the torch of – Spider-Man a little bit like the head Spider-Man from Peter to Miles because Miles saves the day. The Martin Lee stuff was so cool yeah. to me. Like when Martin Lee reaches his hand down and saves Peter and Miles, that's like, right. and that was one of the other plot things that I couldn't wait to talk about. Sorry, I'm just word vomiting here, but these are all the things I loved. Um, the, the other plot thing that I absolutely just loved is I never had on my bingo card that, this game would kind of revolve around Peter trying to protect and work with the villains that he had just put away in the first game. And I, I right. thought that was such a cool, refreshing take to see tombstone trying to rehabilitate his life by working at Coney Island, <laughs> the go-karts uh -huh. and to have Martin Lee actually be so affected by miles that now he's turned his life around to watch Peter feel bad about the, the villains that Craven had actually killed. I just didn't see that being a plot point, And I loved that particular plot point. Yeah. I, I think it elevated Craven too. You know, like we, we yes. talked about that a little bit with John and in the interview next week, but Craven is such a hard villain to, to nail down, especially like in a, in a modern context. Like it's, he was, clearly meant to be kind of campy and then went through such an evolution in the eighties, really just in one particular story. And I thought that they did a really perfect job, not just the characterization of Craven, which I thought was incredible. Like the, the yes. acting there, the music, like you talk about with John, but like he is legitimately, even in the very end, yep. whenever, which, you know, spoilers here again, like last, chance but like as we're getting to the end of the game and venom kills Craven, his freaking head off yeah even in that moment it there's like there's this kind of thanos thing about it where it's like whenever thanos is finally dusted and it's like he doesn't he never looks 
like really shaken up. Like he's he's just like, all right, well, like here it well, is. It's a and super it's, weird plot line that he wants to die. Right, right. Well, and he like, yeah, like there are these lines in the game where he's like trying to goad Black Suit Spider-Man into, into killing him. And he's like, I want you to drag my corpse through the streets. And it, it's, it's just it's legitimately like, chilling and totally not the goofy character that you and Candace described from the original comics. You know what I mean? Like that right, was my perception right. of it. That was my only perception of it. I'd never heard of him. And it's not that at all in this game. I, one, one thing that I noticed in this game and, you know, I'm trying to remember what always said in the, in the spoiler free stuff, but I really do feel like it, there's just a couple moments where it, it, utilizes the the benefit of hindsight and and just the global knowledge of all of these various Spider-Man stories. And just at the point where you might say that the source material maybe takes a wrong turn, the the game makers here, they know, well, okay, instead of taking that turn there, we're going to now kind of import in this other element from this other adaptation or comic and this is the perfect way to take this to not only somewhere that the the game player won't expect but also somewhere that will kind of elevate the story as a whole and so it's like one example is in the ultimate spider-man comics the whole like the, the, the big difference in how venom is conceived is that venom is not an alien, like or there's no alien suit. It, it's something that's been made in a lab as a cancer treatment. And so the idea is it's supposed to like key to your body and your genetics and find a way to eradicate any disease. And you kind of see bits of this in the Amazing Spider-Man movies because the whole reason why it's attracted to Peter is because you find out it was actually created by Peter's dad in the Ultimate Spider-Man universe, and all of this is done just so much better in those comics than it is in the Garfield movies. But it's like, that's the that's where you think that they're going in the game. And except instead of Peter it's it and his dad, it's Harry and his dad. But then way late, there's like another left turn and it's like, no, actually it is the alien like from the original like comic conception. So it's like there are things like that all through like the way they work in Martin Lee and Anti-Venom, which then like I had asked you, what is it going to be like when you've gotten to play with the symbiote for so long as Spider-Man oh, and so then they right. take it away? You're so right. You were afraid of losing that and then they basically yeah. fix that for you, which is like, hey, and, you can and, still have the moves. And that's like, it, it feels so, con like, from the outside, or, or if you don't know those comics, I could see somebody saying, like, oh, well, they just made up this kind of anti-Venom thing so that he could continue to have that. But, like, Martin Lee creating an anti-Venom, like, that is straight, like, comic book lore that I just never even thought about, like, how well that would work within this universe that they've, where they've leaned so much on Martin Lee. And then the way that connects back to Miles. <laughs> well, exactly. And game mechanics wise, I feel like it perfectly levels Peter back up to match Miles because there's a there's a stretch of the game where once you lose the suit, Miles has all these venom powers and like the venom explosion blast that Peter doesn't have. 
and right. it starts feeling kind of lopsided. In fact, like originally when those symbiote bases started popping up, I would always choose Miles to fight them because I could just burst people off that like core or whatever. And oh, I love right. that right when you're kind of feeling that just mechanically now Peter gets leveled up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's, that's such a good point. And then just a few other things. Like it's so cool to have the Easter eggs of the Wong mission. Are you kidding me? Yes. Yeah. Have, yeah. Like, a Doctor Strange Cat. reference. Yeah. I loved that. That's the first time we've gotten anything like that. Right. In in these games. Yeah, I think so. And then I'll never forget for me the twist of how Peter first gets the black suit. That moment when Peter dies on screen is one of the most effective story game things I've ever played. I was just stunned. And then I didn't know, like, as it started happening, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is what's going to happen. This is how he's going to get the suit now. That was so effectively done in the way you're MJ carrying Peter and Peter can hardly walk. And he's like confessing that he's so sorry. He didn't spend more time with her as he's dying. And then Harry's raging on Craven because of it in the background. And you're having to dodge that fight. And then just what a moving moment. The last thing I wanted to quickly say on the side missions, Robbie, you know, I think if I could put my finger on it, like I remember the side missions from, game one being like, do you remember when those people are being taken over by Martin Lee and you have to find a location and then kind of get them out of their trance? Like nothing about that tied into the main story other than they had Lee's powers. Like there was no point of doing that other than to check a box basically. Right? Right. Like it doesn't tie in at all here. I feel like every side mission leads to a really fun Easter egg slash tie into the plot. So like if you finish and maybe you need to plug your ears here, is this ear muffet for you? But like if you finish the drone one, have you finished the drones? Have you gotten all the drones? I have not finished the drones yet. (laughs) Okay. Ear muffet. You truly ear muffet for 10 seconds. Okay. Okay. One, One sec. This is so funny. We've never done this before. But for our listeners, if you finish the drones to actually get a shout out towards the chameleon and that being a hint at the new villain, that's so cool to me. All right, come back. Okay, wait. Are you done? Yeah, come back, come back. Okay, one sec. Um. <laughs> Sorry. All right, Robbie's back. Thank you. Uh, and, and just like all of the side missions tie into an actual point in the story. That's all. I No, I, I feel that way. I also thought they were just like so... There were so many things that... Like whenever I played the Spider-Man PS4 game, I praised it for being so much less repetitive than prior games that kind of had a similar uh, structure, like the Spider-Man 2 PS2 game and then like Web of Shadows and the, I think, Ultimate Spider-Man game. Like there were all these kind of similar open world swinging around New York Spider-Man games. And the first one was such a huge step up in so many ways. I didn't even realize that there were areas for improvement, like you're saying. I didn't even realize how many areas of improvement there were or, or, or like how much room for improvement there was because of how great the first game was. But like, yeah, all the side missions, but even the like kind of hideout, like breaking it up, like those are much less repetitive. Like they feel fresh every time. Like the stuff with Wraith is like a really interesting, like ongoing story instead of it just being okay, I'm going to go to each one of Wilson Fisk's former hideouts and beat the same style goons, like in the same uh, like formation 
And you always know that it's like, okay, here's the point where like this kind of guy comes in, which again, it's all fun there. Like, and I never complained, but like, that's all the stuff that I think has leveled up so much in this game. And so I I guess my final thought is just as, as someone that loves the black suit as a thing and loves black suit Spider-Man, and, I, and even loves the original Venom story and the, the whole idea behind that, but doesn't necessarily love the, the symbiote thing as it's, as it's like evolved and grown and taken over. I thought that this game also did a really good job of balancing that. Like at first I was a little surprised that they went full like symbiote invasion in the city because it just felt like like I mean you know we kind of had that with the city yeah, a little pandemic. bit strange it's a little stranger things for sure a way stranger yeah things, I yeah guess. and I guess like again what what I love is that it, it's almost ripped straight from the spider-man web of shadows game which was the the one of the last big open world ones before where a big part of the draw there is you got to play as black suit Spider-Man, but like all these symbiotes were invading, but it like does that way better. So it was just another kind of nod to the people that loved that game. But also like, I think what makes it make sense to me is, and maybe I'll be, you know, eating my words in a couple of years when another game comes out, but I kind of liked that the first game, they were going to do the Sinister Six and the Doc Ock story. And they just did that kind of all the way through, like gave and us perfectly. like the, and perfectly. And I, I like that here, like if, if you're going to do Venom, right? Like if you're going to explore that, then yeah, like do it, like go for it in this game. And let's like really do everything that that mythos has to offer, even down by the way, to like the spirally head thing that the, the people infected by the symbiotes start showing oh, up yeah. with, which is, a really recent development from uh, the Donny Cates Venom comics that hmm. that didn't even start coming out till like 2018. So hmm. it's like they they really are doing like it, it felt like they were like they have in every other way in this game series. Like this is our chance to take on the black suit story and everything that goes with that. And let's just like go like a hundred percent and. Yep. make people feel like they're leaving satisfied, even down to letting people play as Venom briefly, which yeah, is something oh that, that, you know, people Surprising. love from like the Ultimate Spider-Man game originally. It's like, yeah. it just feels to me like the writing, the game developing, like yes. everyone behind this game feels like such, like they, they all seem like Spider-Man fans. Did you ever think you would destroy Kraven as Venom? Like Dude, I didn't think so that that cool. would be the twist, right? The way to get rid of Craven and actually kill him because that's what like Miles and Peter want to do, but they can't is actually you kill him with Venom. And I mean this in all seriousness. If people listen to our Spider-Man 3 episode a couple years back when we were getting ready for No Way Home, uh, we talked about like all the things that could have changed that that actually could have made that a really impactful Spider-Man movie within that Raimi universe. And I kept thinking to myself going through this game, like there are obviously so many differences, but so many of the things that we were saying, like, man, wouldn't it have been great though if we actually got like a believably dark Peter 
where we like understood where he was coming from. Like even aside from all the like dancing and stuff, even just like the whenever Toby's Peter does get angry, it just doesn't feel like they know the tone in that movie. So it always feels off. But like, oh my gosh, the moment when they're in the collapse tunnel and oh Peter my says gosh. run. Is the most MJ. terrifying. And it, and it changes to the other voice. Run. Oh, it's so, like, it is actually chill-inducing. Like, you're terrified of Spider-Man for the next, like, two minutes. And I okay. love that, that they were able to pull that off. Okay, so listen to this. I said this episode would be short. I need to go because my daughter's actually sitting in my lap right now, and she is not going to make it very long. So I cannot open this can of worms, but I'm still going to. You can react to this, but really briefly, okay? I mean, she is a Spider-Man fan, so I feel she like She is a Spider-Man fan, like, a lifelong three years, you know, Spider-Man fan. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, the progression on Peter is so good, so elite that in some ways, the pinnacle of the game almost feels like that fight between Miles and Peter as Venom. Like in a weird way, like yeah. before the whole symbiote takeover, that almost kind of feels like the end because, oh, she's playing with car, sorry. Because the progression of Peter slowly losing it. Like, remember I pointed out in that spoiler-free preview, that episode where Peter's like, what's pro what's MJ's problem? Why is she being so weird? And it's like, no, dude, you're the yeah. one being weird. That progression all the way to like what you're talking about in the collapsed tunnel is just so elite that this is my final take. This game is an improvement over the first game in every single way, except I'll say one thing. This is my only critique, and I'm curious if you think this is the case. Everything you kind of said with the Venom stuff, the symbiote thing, um... I just don't know that on the overarching, like way zoomed out 30,000 foot view plot, I was ever as impacted like emotionally as I was, <laughs> sorry about the cars in the back, <laughs> as I was I love it. the first time with like Doc Ock, that reveal, the Aunt May yeah. thing in the first game, like, how, and then how like Devil's Breath ties in with Norman and Lee and all of that. Like, I don't know that I had that one singular moment. Like the Sinister Six thing, all of that, I think on paper is maybe still my preference over this game, just slightly. I feel yeah. like the actual plot was maybe a little more engaging for me in the first game. And maybe that's just because I had never done it before and it was fresh, right? Like maybe that's why, and that's all it was. But every other category, this game has the edge for me, right? So this is a better, this is a better game. I like this game more. But if I was ranking 10 different categories, nine of them go to Spider-Man 2. I think the overarching like Lee, Devil's Breath, Doc Ock, and Aunt May thing, and how Feast and all that ties in, the edge goes to the first game. Is that fair? I think so. I mean, that's actually a perfect place to leave it because I feel like I need to finish the game to be able to to really weigh in on that. But I, I think from where I am now, because I'm right up to the end, like I think that that's right. This game is is doing a lot more and kind of diving deeper on certain things. Uh, but I think probably, yeah, if you look back it maybe isn't quite like everything doesn't quite meet up as cleanly as it does yep. in that first game. Yeah. Maybe that's what the word is. 
Well, good news, bad news. The good news is you still get to finish the epic finale and it's awesome. The bad yes. news is once you finish it, we probably have to wait five years before there's some follow-up on PS6 Dude, at that point, probably legitimately, uh, which just actually kind of really bums me out. Like there's a part of me that in general, I think is just sad that I got this on October 20. It's not a month and I'm done hundred percent. I opened it up last night and there's nothing left to do. And I'm like, dang it, five more years. Here we go. <laughs> I mean, I've already decided I'm going to wind up after I've got some other games that have been on the backlog. Uh, I'm going to make some headway on Breath of the Wild. I am going to make some headway on God of War Ragnarok and finally get back into Elden Ring, I think, which are all very long games because I didn't get a chance to play through the, the first game and the Miles game prior to this one coming out like I thought I would. I'm probably just going to wind up going back from the beginning and playing through everything with like the yeah, new character too. models. And like, I think it's going to be really, that's going to be my, my coping mechanism. Well, we loved it. We really loved it. Looking forward to it. I'm sorry. I have to run. My daughter is ready to watch Spidey and his amazing friends on TV and she's not going to last much longer. Um, we love all of you guys. Thanks for listening. Be ready for next week with John Pizzino. And then, We'll give you some information on the rewatch as we continue it so that you can watch it with us. It's always more fun to have the Thursday night watch of this project before we talk about it, just so kind of we're all on the same page. So we'll be hitting you with a bunch of information on that newsletter, on Discord, on this podcast. But if we don't hear from you, have a great freaking Thanksgiving. Have fun. I love Thanksgiving. Food, family, football. It's a great time of year. Enjoy the nice weather. And uh, we'll see you back here next week talking with John Pizzino right back here on Friends From Work. Friends From Work.